You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. To Luke chapter 24 again, as I said, significant portion of text for us this morning. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and we're going to read all the way through verse 49. 49 verses of text this morning, okay? Some of you, if you've listened to my preaching for a while, you're, you're already strapping in, right? You're like, two hours, we're going to be a two hour. No. Better quit goofing around or we will be. Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the Word of God says to us. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Now that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? I think Jesus had a great sense of humor. Okay. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. But when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am saying the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen? Bow your heads with me let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the privilege that we have to hear Your Word preached on this Easter morning, 2023. Pray, Father, that You would come and meet us in this gathered space. Help us to contemplate the power of the empty tomb. Trust that You do this. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. I want to address our kids one more time. One way that you can sit for 45 minutes and listen to a man on a stage preach is ask your mom or your dad or whoever you're sitting with for a pen and a piece of paper or a crayon and a piece of paper and listen to the words that I preach. And every time you hear something that catches your attention, you write it down on a piece of paper. That's called active listening instead of passive listening. So if you don't have a pen, a piece of paper, or a crayon, ask your parents to do so. Then I would encourage you to be as respectful and as quiet as possible throughout the next moments. And all the kids said, Amen. <laughs> Most of you don't know. Um, some of you do know. We raised seven kids. Uh, we also uh, did lots of kids ministry for years uh, in various church plants and uh, enjoyed trying to teach and train children to uh, hear the Word of God preached to them. 
I have one of those kids sitting in the second row here who is not my child but was in our youth ministry for a while. And while the kids are finding a crayon or a piece of paper, I will tell you this young lady, Miss Kimmy, raise your hand, please, knows that I'm absolutely afraid of snakes and thought that it would be absolutely hilarious along with the rest of her friends in our kids' ministry to put a fake snake over there, tie it to a, uh, a clear stream, run it through the pulpit, and then sit over here and slowly pull it over while all the kids kept looking at the snake. And I saw the snake, and I think I flipped out and ran out the door. So, um, so speaking, speaking in a room with, uh, with children present is, is no bother, and I think it's actually a privilege for us to have kids present with us, okay? Uh, kids, are you good? Got crayons, pieces of paper, all that? Find your seats, find your spots. I see one writing on the wall. I got you, I got you. You don't have to look at me in that tone of voice, sweetheart. She's Louise. It is Easter Sunday. Amen? It's Easter Sunday. It's the day that the church all over the world celebrates the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? The horror of the brutal death of Jesus on uh, Good Friday, on the cross of Calvary just a couple of days ago. What happens there is in between then and now, all of that gives way to celebration and joy. We celebrate and we sense the joy of this morning because of this truth. Satan, sin, and death, they've been defeated once and for all in the resurrection and the empty tomb of Jesus. It is the stamp on all of his life's work that proves and vindicates him as victorious. Now I think about what the last couple of days might have been like for Jesus' followers. You put this yourself in their shoes for a few moments. Think about that. You're, you're walking with Jesus for three years. Now, this is back in the first century, so it was a lot different then. You put yourself in their shoes, and, I, and I, when I do that, I begin to wonder what that might have been like. I begin to wonder how devastating it would have been for them who walked with Him for those three years leading up to that night of His false arrest, all the false accusations, all the trumped-up charges, all the brutality of his unjust murder. I think of what that emotional roller coaster would have been like for them. Now, I remember what an emotional blur it was for me uh, of the day that my mom died, and I walked into that room and saw her body. I remember what the next couple of days and months was like um, as I came to grips with this reality that she was no longer alive here. As some of you may have experienced something similar, the devastation of that, the emotional blur, the confusion, the anger, the sadness, the lostness, the loneliness, the hopelessness almost in those moments. And as emotionally devastating as those days were for me, I still can't imagine what it would have actually been like for Jesus' disciples. You think about it. It wasn't just that they were merely close friends. It wasn't just that they were merely family members. Jesus' followers had looked forward to Jesus with anticipation. 
They had looked forward to the coming Messiah literally for centuries. And they had hoped, they'd been trained to hope, place all of their hope in this coming Messiah who would redeem them. And the redemption that they primarily thought about often was the redemption from their earthly enemies. Living under the oppression of foreign rulers for many years would have actually caused Jesus' followers to feel like He was their one and only hope. In Jesus, what they encountered was the man whom they believed would absolutely annihilate their enemies and set them free for eternity. And this is proven in the questions that His disciples ask Him in His final days before the ascension after the resurrection. One of those questions is, are you at this time going to restore the glory of Israel? And the way they're asking is, are you going to set us on top of the throne again and make everybody else subject under us? Are you, are you, going, to, are you going to free us from this oppressive nation we live under called Rome? Their hopes, all of their hopes, were set on Jesus. But now, those hopes had been crushed. They'd been crushed in the horror of Good Friday until the sun rose on Sunday. Get my drift. The events of that day are absolutely shocking, I think, as some of his followers find the tomb empty. Then some of them have a conversation with him on a dirt road not far from Jerusalem, and then Top all that off, Jesus shows up in the room with them at the end of the day. The first thing we, we, we see in the text, the first kind of mini story within the story is a bunch of women find the tomb empty, right? Verses 1 through 12, what Luke tells us is that Mary Magdalene and a group of women, they visit Jesus' tomb early on Sunday morning when most people are probably sleeping. This is immediately following the Sabbath day. Sun was just coming up. Jesus has been dead in the tomb for three days, and so the women are bringing a bunch of spices with him to anoint his body so that it doesn't start stinking really bad. And when they arrive, they find the stone rolled away. The tomb is empty, and there's two angels who appear to them, and the angels ask them this question. I think it's a fantastic question. Hey, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? It's like, why would you shop for Chevy parts at a Ford dealership? Why would you shop for a Harley at a Honda shop? I don't know. Why do you seek the living among the dead? You don't go to a graveyard to look for people who are alive. They, they move on. They say, hey, he's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, the angel said, while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And as soon as the women heard these words, Luke tells us that they ran back and they told the disciples. Luke, uh, more than any other author, loves to take those who would appear as either untrustworthy sources, or those who would appear in that culture as uh, people who would not be the ones who would first give a testimony. And in that culture, women and children did not testify to things. Men did. So there's something you see in this in the way that God 
values, even what culture says is the weakest of these. I love that about our God. He levels the playing field in all the charades that we set up. As soon as the women heard these words, they, they run back, they tell the disciples. And the disciples, what did they think? They thought they were just telling stories, right? You guys are a bit crazy, a bit whacked. I don't know if you took your meds today, okay? You need to chill out, have a tea. Let's send Peter and let him check it out. Peter runs over there, checks out the tomb, finds it empty. And what does the text tell us? I think it's in verse 12. It says that he went home marveling at what had happened. Marveling. I don't, you know, marveling isn't a word that most of us use unless we're watching a Marvel movie. Okay? The Marvel is just kind of, that, that word is just kind of removed from our English language a little bit. It means to be astonished, it means to be absolutely shocked. It's almost a devastated kind of a shock. It, it's the impossible just took place, and you have no category in your mind to understand what is now happening. It's the essence of that word marvel in this context. And I'm absolutely convinced that the proper response for us to the truth of the resurrection is a response of absolute shock and awe. I'm absolutely convinced that every aspect of the Christian faith is actually staked on the truth of the empty tomb. That's why it should shock us so much. It is the central tenet of Christianity. Outside of that, there is no Christianity. The great Apostle Paul, who once was a terrorist, he was a man who was responsible for the murder of Christians, especially shortly after the resurrection, that's what he was doing. Then he encountered Jesus, the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he said this, very straightforward, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. Your faith is worthless if Jesus isn't alive. If the only thing that transforms a Christian, the only thing that transforms somebody into a Christian who was a Christian murdering terrorist like Paul, takes that kind of a man and turns him into the greatest evangelist and church planner the world has ever seen, in my opinion. The only thing that's going to do that is none other than an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. An encounter with the resurrected Christ will radically transform your life. You could be here today and you may have millions of questions about the sovereignty of God, the love of God, sexual ethics, political... You could have all sorts of questions about God. But let's get this one thing straight. If you have not encountered the risen Christ yet, I pray, I pray and I hope, and I've been praying and hoping that today would be that day that you would encounter, that you would know that it is the empty tomb upon which all of Christianity hangs. And if you could get that along with the truth of the cross, I believe the Spirit would then begin to set you free and give you answers to some of those questions, or the faith to endure when you don't have the answers. There's nothing about Christianity that I think is even remotely helpful, apart from the moral codes, and even those I don't think are helpful, if the resurrection is not true. The resurrection is not true. God is not God. Jesus is not Jesus. We might as well do whatever we want. Make our own rules. 
if the resurrection is not true, then the church is merely just a country club. And I got plenty of clubs I'd like to be a part of, and if resurrection ain't true, there's no reason to be a part of this country club. Okay. There are a lot better things I could be out doing this morning if this is just a country club. But since it's not, since it's based on the resurrection of Jesus, I'm so happy to be here. There's nothing better I could be doing than this. If the resurrection is true, then Christianity is actually the answer for all of humanity's problems. These are the claims of Christianity throughout the Bible. And namely, the major problem is the problem of sin. There's not one problem in the world today that does not find its roots in the problem of sin and rebellion against a holy, perfect, righteous God. Now, the only answer to that problem of sin against a holy God is none other than the bloody murder of His one and only Son and His victorious resurrection three days later, which proved that He is, in fact, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, victorious over Satan, sin, and the grave. Now, this is what makes the discovery of the empty tomb by these women in our passage and by Peter so significant. It's true that the women and Peter are definitely hoping for more of a nationalistic Savior. Okay? Do the study. It's what you'll find. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for somebody who's going to set Israel free from the oppression of their enemies. But the reality is this. Jesus came to set them and us free from so much more than that. So much more than that. Nationalistic social issues are chump change compared to eternity. When Jesus rose from the dead, He literally fulfilled centuries of prophecies that foretold God's plan of redemption for all of eternity. This is exactly the conversation Jesus has with a couple of disciples in the next section of our story. As he meets these guys on the road to Emmaus. Now let me press pause before we go to story number two. In the story, let me address the children one more time. Kids, every, every kid look at me. Uh, mini ox, I see you. <laughs> hey children, can I just say, you guys are doing a fantastic job. Could us adults give these kids a little bit of praise for a moment and say, great job. Great job. Um, is there one kid in here that has heard something yet this morning that you want to highlight? I knew it would be you. Which one are you? You're not Ellie. You are. In a line. It's, I can't remember names. Okay, I've known this kid since she was born, and I can't remember. Let's do it to my kids all the time. Annaline, share with us one thing you heard. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Annaline? I am deeply afraid of snakes. It's actually a phobia, okay? I break out in sweats and I start crying, and it's. I'm not. No, don't point over there. There's no snake over there. Stop it. No, I'm not looking at all. Um, yes, but, but you, know, you know what? Uh, I am. And are you afraid of anything? What? Did you give me one thing you're afraid of? You're afraid of snakes too? Oh, well, right on. Hey, you know what I have to, you know, I have to remind myself all the time? Um, you'll get a kick out of this. You know, the first time I understood a snake in the Bible was the snake in the beginning of the Bible, right? The serpent. And I always like to say, maybe that's part of the reason I'm so afraid of him is because that reminds me of Satan. Um, you know what the Bible tells us that Jesus, our Savior, our resurrected Messiah, 
He's going to crush the head of that snake with his heel. So um, while I try to get enough energy and, and like lack of fear and like courage to like when I see a snake stomp its head with my heel, I can't because I'm always running the other direction. Um, but, then, but I calm myself down by reminding myself, Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. So thanks for sharing that. We're going to move into part number two of the sermon. So kids, please keep doing exactly what you're doing. And Lenny, did I see your hand up a little bit ago? Um, you, you got something? Oh, you're afraid of spiders. I don't like spiders very much either, especially those big tarantulas. They're horrible. I don't like them at all. I don't like them at all. So we're in the same boat. All right, kids, keep doing a good job. Y'all rock. Part number two. Part number two of our text, uh, Jesus talks with two disciples on a dirt road, right? This is a significant portion of the text. In this portion of the text, Luke tells us, verses 13 through 35, Luke tells us that on the same day, there were two disciples taking a road trip. Where were they headed? They were headed to a little city called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as those two disciples are traveling, Jesus shows up and he appears incognito. This reminds me of some kind of cool sci-fi movie. I don't know how he did it. I just think it's pretty awesome. Okay? He shows up. They don't recognize him. He's walking with them. And as they're walking along, Jesus asks, hey, yo, what you been talking about? <coughs> you know, I mean, we could probably take some lessons from Jesus about how to start conversations with people. But he just does. Like, he knows all the answers, but he just asks the question anyways. Like, he really wants to, like, get into relationship with these guys, maybe? I don't know. The two disciples, though, they're absolutely dismayed. Somehow their fellow traveler, this dude that shows up on, the, on, the, on this roadway, this dirt road, somehow he had not yet heard the horrible news. And so they recount for him the gruesome events of Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his crucifixion, even though he was a prophet who was mighty in word and deed, right? These two disciples also recounted this bizarre news, very bizarre. They'd heard it from the women. That somehow Jesus' tomb was empty. Body is gone. And Jesus' response to hearing the story of his own death and his own resurrection is almost amusing, okay? Because look at what he says uh, in verses 25 and 26. He says, oh, foolish ones, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Anybody else in this room ever have those moments where you're like, I feel a little foolish because I'm slow to believe what God has said. I feel a little bit foolish because I'm slow to believe what people have told me about God. I just, I, I feel like maybe I don't fit in a little bit because I'm slow to believe. I'm reminded of the man who wanted Jesus to, I think, heal his son or his child. And he came to him and he, and he said, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. It's kind of this picture of just this, this tiny little sliver of, of hope or tiny little sliver of belief. It's, it's just a little bit, and the rest of it, they don't know. It's like this man is like, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And Jesus looks at these two men, and he goes, hey, oh, foolish ones. Like he just kind of says, yeah, yeah, you're a bit foolish. You're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And then Luke also adds this other detail that after Jesus asked that question, that he, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So think about the scene with me for a minute. I mean, Bible studies usually take place in these kind of cool, clean places. Sometimes you might have a couch or a cup of coffee and 
Maybe the room decor is a little bit better than just kind of the cold white walls we have in here, right? When you think about just Bible study in a group. Jesus literally held a Bible study as they walked on a dirt road to Emmaus. That fascinates me. And as he taught them, Luke tells us that he showed them that all of Christianity is not about political issues, not about social issues, not even about religious issues, depending on how you use the word religious. Christianity is not about trying to do all the right things so that God would like you more. It's certainly not about trying to be a better person. Well, there's nothing wrong with trying to be a better person. That's not the essence of Christianity. Christianity is all about Jesus. It's all about the Messiah. It's all about the Savior, the one who gave his life as a ransom to make sinners into family members, not to make bad people better people. Although by default, the fruit that comes out of trusting in Jesus and following him is that bad people continue being bad people who are becoming better people. Now, once the two disciples and Jesus arrive at this little town of Emmaus, remember, they're about seven miles or so from Jerusalem. The two disciples invite Jesus to stay with them. They're sitting at the table. They're eating dinner, passing the food around. And Luke tells us that he, Jesus, he took the bread and he blessed it and he gave it to them. And in that moment, he tells us their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight, which I think is crazy. You know, like he shows up and... You know, he's incognito, they don't recognize him and the whole time, right? And then suddenly when he does this bread thing, they recognize him. And as soon as they recognize him, boop, gone. It's nuts. It's like Jesus is playing games or something. I just think he has a great sense of humor. I can't imagine how unbelievably startling this would have been for those two disciples, right? <laughs> and they look at each other and they say this. In verse 31, they say, Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened it to us the scriptures did not our hearts burn with it you ever you ever get that sense where, where you're hearing the word preached or you're you're reading the word and suddenly your heart starts to kind of burn inside you get this heavy maybe not dark heavy but it's it, it's a sense right it's it's an almost an emotional feeling called conviction I don't think this moment would have been filled with necessary guilt or shame for not understanding things earlier. These disciples had walked with Jesus for years, but they didn't get it until right now. I think this moment would have been a moment that was full of what I would call clear-hearted conviction of the truth of the gospel. In that moment, the gospel was clear to them that Jesus was the point of the gospel. What do you do in that moment? What do you do when Jesus reveals himself to you? Fully alive. Fully capable of opening your eyes to the truth of the Bible like you've never seen it before. You ever had that moment? Studying the Scriptures, suddenly your eyes are open, your heart's open, and you understand the Bible in ways that you never did before. I'll be honest with you, typically, typically, most of you can probably testify to this too, those moments often happen when you're at your lowest. You've committed some grievous, deep sin that you know was wrong, and in those moments, God convicts you, and the truth of the gospel becomes clear. <coughs> or maybe, or maybe it's when you're looking back over your life and you're going, man, that's been my pathway. I've been pretty rebellious towards God this whole time, blinded to Him. He's been reaching out to me, trying to get me to follow Him, trying to get me to trust in Him. And then in a moment, it's like your eyes open. 
And the scriptures are clear that what happens at those moments is something called regeneration and conversion. It's, God takes your dead heart by the power of His Spirit. He yanks it out. He tosses it. High as the heavens are above the earth. And, and like a great surgeon just inserts a brand new beating heart. One that now has faith in it and can live for God. And in those moments, your mind is transformed according to Romans. Transformed into a worshiper of God. And it's something that no human can do. Only the Spirit of God can do. He's like the wind. Goes wherever He wants. And in fact, the word for Spirit is ruah. Means wind. Holy wind. <coughs> blows into your life. Blows out the junk from the past. Inserts a brand new beating heart like an engine inside of you. And you come to life for the first time. That feels like that's what's taking place here. And when this takes place, Luke tells us that these two dudes, man, they jump up and they run the seven miles back to Jerusalem and they find the other disciples. And here's what they proclaim. They proclaim, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. The emphasis in the original Greek is not like they're trying to retell the story to Simon because Simon's there. So it's not like they're, they're saying, hey, yo, we're, we're going to tell you that Simon, who's already told you this, they're, not doing, they're actually affirming what Peter has said. Jesus has appeared to Simon. And then what they do is they relay how Jesus appeared to them, made himself known to them as he broke the bread and served it to them. It seems very appropriate to me that their eyes were opened as he broke the bread, served it to them, right? Breaking the bread, what would have gone through their minds in those moments? I think their minds would have been flooded with memories of eating the Passover meal just a few nights ago. It would have been full of the things that he had said about how the bread was a representation of his body that would be broken for them. And then and I think they would have remembered what had happened at the cross of Calvary, where Jesus' body was in fact broken in the most horrific and humbling and humiliating of ways. You and I, it's hard for us to grasp that moment in the same emotional sense. But by the Spirit of God, we can. And that's my prayer is that the Spirit of God will continue to reveal that to us today. It is this message of repentance and faith, forgiveness and the love of God, and the resurrected Christ. These disciples run back to their disciples in Jerusalem with. It's that message that they're discussing when Jesus shows up in the room. That takes us to the third and final portion of our text, right? Let me pause again and address the kids one more time. Kids, are you still with us? You are. Look at you guys. You're awesome. You're awesome. I love you guys. Any love back from the kids at all? No? No? Oh, hi. No love? <laughs> it's fine. Hey, keep doing what you're doing. You guys are doing a great job. We're almost done, okay? We're almost out of here. Everybody take a deep breath. Okay, buckle up. Last round. Ready? Point number three. Jesus appears to all the disciples at the end of the day. Verses 36 through 49, Luke tells us that all the disciples, man, they're discussing the crazy events of the day, and Jesus himself appears among them, which I think startled all of them the way the look Luke puts it. It startles them into thinking that there was like a ghost in the room. You know, you ever had that moment where you get terrified because you hear something in the middle of the night and it's dark and it's like, whoa, what was that? I'm going for my gun or, I don't know, baseball bat or whatever it is you have in your room. It's a glass of holy water. Then I don't know, whatever. Jesus calmed them down, though. They're afraid. They think a ghost is in the room. He calms them down. He says, hey, yo, why are you so troubled? Verses 38 and 39. Why are you so troubled? 
And why do, catch this, why do doubts arise in your hearts? That's such a perfect question for us to ask. The why, 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 why question is the question we should always ask when it comes to doubt or worry or fear. The reason that why is so important is you ask why and you're going to give an answer. But you're going to give a veiled answer every time because our hearts have been trained and taught to cover up truth. And so you keep asking why. You keep kind of peeling away the layers of deception around what's actually going on in the idols of your heart. And it keeps, to, it keeps peeling away that onion until you get down to the core of why. So why, 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 why? So Jesus asks, why? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? He says, see my hands and my feet that it's I myself? Touch me. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as, as you see that I have. Now, in these moments, what Jesus is doing is He's proving. He's proving once and for all that the stories that we hear, think about the stories we hear about the resurrection, right? I don't know if you ever heard these. I mean, all you've got to do is have access to the internet or cable TV. Here's just a few of those answering away of the question. Um, some people say, well, his body was stolen, right? Body was stolen. Some will say, well, he faked it on the cross. He didn't really die, okay? Uh, some will say that he had a twin brother. Uh, and there's some people that say that somehow, somehow Jesus did fake the death. I don't know how he did that. Um, still took the beating, still, still was on the cross. They, they stuck him in the tomb, rolled the, rolled, the, rolled the rock over it, and then somehow he in his bloody state and Bruce, he was able to roll that stone away on his own. And then he walked out and you know, he took some time to heal up and then appeared to his disciples that night. It's, it's it takes more faith to believe those stories than it does this one. It really does. It takes more faith to believe. It's, it's absolute stupidity when you think about it. So, um, the, other, the other one that I think some people try to explain this away with is this. They'll say, well, it's just apparitions. It's just apparitions. People, people were just seeing things because they were so depressed. What Jesus is doing in this text is he's giving rock-solid evidence that those stories are not true. That the only story that is actually true is that Jesus is the only quote-unquote religious leader who is not dead. Period. And that has to mean something to us. That has to be significant to us in some way. What Jesus did that night is He proved that night and over the course of the next few days as He continued to appear to more than 500, think about it, 500 people according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 saw Him, touched Him, ate with Him, laughed with Him, slept in the same room as him where 500 people experienced Jesus in the same way. After Jesus proved to his disciples that he was not a ghost, he asked them for some food, which I find absolutely invigorating because you know what that means is that us, if we're going to be like Jesus in our invigorated state, and when we get resurrected and we go to heaven, you know what that means. Big stakes, y'all. He asked for fish, okay? He didn't ask for a plant. I'm just, I mean, I don't care if you eat plants. Do your thing. He asked for meat. Yes. Huh? Brings me some joy. <laughs> as they were eating, wrapping this up, as they were eating, uh, he reminded them that everything that was written about me, about Jesus, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, had to be fulfilled. 
That, that Christ had to suffer, third day rise from the dead, repentance, forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And then he wraps everything up by letting them know that they're going to be his witnesses throughout the world once the Holy Spirit comes and fills them with his empowering presence. That's the end of the story for us. In conclusion, just trying to tie all this together and wrap it up a bit. I want you to think about the power of the resurrection a little bit more, just for a few moments longer with me. Think about Jesus' final words here to His disciples. They're, they're words about the essence of the Gospel, right? Sin, salvation, forgiveness, repentance. His final words are all about being His witnesses to the ends of the earth. And this is Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, right? Second half of the story. And Jesus, here's what Jesus is telling his, his friends, right? He's literally telling his friends, and let's think about who his friends were. They had completely abandoned him on Good Friday because they were afraid. And now, three days later, he's alive and he's like, yo, you know what? Even though you abandoned me, even though you took off, even though you screwed up, I'm trusting you. You're going to be responsible for telling the entire world about me, about my death, my resurrection. You're going to be responsible for preaching the, the need for repentance from sin and how you can be forgiven as you trust in Jesus. And they would be doing that as the Holy Spirit enabled them to do so. Once again, this whole story is about so much more than transforming the nationalistic situation of Israel. It's about so much more than changing the political landscape. It's about so much more than trying to position the church in the center of the culture. It's about true spiritual transformation. That's what it's about. This is about Jesus being the one who turns religion upside down with a cross and an empty tomb, okay? And this is about Jesus being the one who flips religious conversations on the dirt roads of life into life-changing encounters with the living God. This is about Jesus taking weak and sinful and depressed and confused and lonely, rebellious people and transforming them into the very mouthpieces that God intended for His own glory all the way to the ends of the earth. If you're with us today and you're a believer, I want, I want to address two different crowds real fast and then wrap it. If you're with us today, you're a believer. You've been going through the motions, right? barely engaged, rarely reading your Bible, only praying when things hit the fan, worried about where we're headed as a nation. I am too. Maybe hurt, disenfranchised by a church, struggling with some kind of secret addiction or, or sin. Kind of just walk in this morning, maybe feeling like you're kind of hanging in there with every last ounce of energy you have. Then my prayer for you is that the power of the resurrection would awaken your heart. That it would awaken your heart and it would bring strength to your soul. That you would remember this simple truth. The tomb is empty. There's absolutely nothing that's beyond God's power to fix. You are not beyond God's power to fix. That's what He does. If you're hearing this message and you're not yet a believer. Okay? If you're here, maybe you're here because it's Easter. You're here because someone invited you. Or you're here because your life is in shambles. I don't know. But regardless of whatever reason that, that brought you in this morning, what I want you to know is that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. I'm going to say it again. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And not only did God somehow orchestrate your very presence here today, 
And he also made a plan before time began. Send his son Jesus to a cross in your place and in my place. He went to that cross willingly. He died brutally. And when he died brutally, I want you to hear this if you're here and you've not yet trusted in Jesus. When he died brutally, he died with your picture in his pocket and your name on his lips. When Jesus died on that cross, he did not die for faceless, nameless, whosoever people. Died for you specifically if you're hearing this message. Especially if your heart's making a turn inside of you. Respond to that. Might be the very reason you're here today. So that you could confess your sin, confess your need of Jesus to save you from the penalty and the presence and the power of your sin. Confess your, your faith and your trust in Christ's work at the cross of Calvary in that empty tomb. And I pray that, that that's you, then, then I pray that you would surrender to Him right now, trust Him to radically transform your life. Here's why. Same thing that was true for those who are Christians that are struggling is true for you if you're an unbeliever. The tomb is empty. And there's absolutely nothing that's beyond God's power to fix. God loves to be in the business of fixing people just like you and I. This is the power of the empty tomb of Jesus. Okay, Final words. Satan can't stop him. Sin has no hold over him. Death has been defeated by him. Your doubt, your depression, your confusion, your addiction, your broken family, your coldness towards God all these years, your desire to cut bait and run every time things get tough, whatever it may be, your, your tendencies to, in your mind, think judgmental thoughts of other people. <coughs> Maybe it's even the smaller sins that don't really catch a lot of attention. Maybe it's just an issue with some gossip you got going on in your life. These things hold no power over Jesus. None of those things has an edge on the power of Jesus who died so that you might be set free, so that you might be forgiven. And then he rose so that you might be transformed. That's the power of the empty tomb that radically transforms people's lives for all of eternity. Amen? Pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth of the resurrection, the power of the cross, the power of that empty tomb. I pray, God, that you would come in these closing moments and continue a work inside of each of us, Lord, that you would encourage Christians who need to be encouraged and challenged. <coughs> I pray that you would draw any in this place who are far from you and not believing in you. I pray, God, that you would do a radical work of transformation inside of them and give them a brand new heart over these closing moments. But I trust that you will do that work. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Let me invite you to stand. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.